Zivy Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you like what you hear, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy it. Today's episode has been sponsored by Shaka Tea. Shaka Tea is a line of Hawaii-grown herbal iced teas with a commitment to the health of their consumers and health of the land. Shaka Tea is a naturally caffeine-free, no-sugar-added product and supports sustainable farming and regenerative agriculture. Shop Shaka Tea, that's spelled S-H-A-K-A-T, Shaka Tea. Carlos Whitaker is the author of three books, Moment Maker, You Can Live Your Life or It Will Live You, Kill the Spider, and most recently, Enter Wild, Exchange a Wild and Mundane Faith for Life with an Uncontainable God. Carlos's wife calls him a hope dealer. He's a People's Choice Award winner who is a former recording artist signed to a major label, a social media maven, and now he spends the majority of his time writing books and speaking on stages around the world. He did a viral video called Singles Ladies Devastation with his family that got millions and millions of views and apparently was accidental, but there you have it. (laughs) He had a recording deal with Integrity Music and lived in Nashville, Tennessee, but then decided to move more into being what he calls a hope dealer and writing books instead of singing on stage, which he says is maybe a little backwards, but let's hear what he has to say about it to us. Welcome, Carlos. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Oh, Zibby, thanks so much. Is is there a Dads Don't Have Time to Read Books podcast, or do I need to start that one too? You might need to start it. <laughs> okay, okay. Because because I'm the same way, and I'm like, I love the name of this podcast. I was so excited when I saw it. Oh, thank you so much. Yes, there's been a lot of debate because obviously these conversations aren't just for moms, but I feel like they do a service because we all are so busy as parents. So, so it should not exclude busy. dads at all. <laughs> no, no. So so busy, so busy. We, we've got three kids. They're all teenagers now, but it doesn't get any less crazy. <laughs> and I watched, this is from so long ago, but your viral video of uh, your uh, little one who was crying when he couldn't be a single lady. And <laughs> yes, yes. He is He is 14 years old now. And oh my that, gosh. that video haunts him. So the, you know, <laughs> it's so funny because we actually won a People's Choice Award for Viral Video of the Year. And he keeps that trophy. We let him have it because he's the one that cried. In his room is a door stopper. It's, it's on the... It's it's on the floor, his People's Choice Awards. So it's pretty funny. <laughs> I mean, the best part is you're saying that like I'm the worst dad ever because of course, oh. like I feel like that as a mom like 50 times a day. <laughs> so Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So you have had such an interesting career. You started as a musician, you changed into an author, a speaker. You've had such yeah. an interesting journey. Even on your website said how it's like so backwards and most people like want to become a musician and you yeah. gave up your big deal to to do this. Yeah. So tell me about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I did, I signed a record deal with Sony Provident and moved to Nashville, moved my family to Nashville and started touring and did the whole, you know, tour thing. And I mean, I mean, I was on some big tours in front of, you know, 30,000 people a night. Like it was, it was working, it was clicking, but I'll tell you what, Zibi, it's like, you know, sometimes when you're doing something that's working, but still in your heart of hearts, you know that there that it's not what you're supposed to be doing. So like, you know, I, I try to tell people all the time that just because it's working doesn't mean it's right. And for me, I had, I've been growing this online platform, a blog. I don't know if people remember what those things are, but I've been writing on this blog for about a decade. And I had all these people reading my books, excuse me, or reading my, my blogs. And my wife just kept telling me, Carlos, like, you're a great singer, but you're a really, really, really great writer. 
And I said, really? And then I had more and more friends kind of express that, that same thought to me. And, you know, I just kind of, I mean, it was a, it was a really scary moment. The moment that I switched to kind of change careers, I I'd just been praying about it. And I felt like, like God was like, yep, you're supposed to do this. So I went to my laptop and I canceled, I think it was 87 music dates for the rest of the year. I said, but in the, in the email, I said, so I feel like I'm supposed to be a speaker now and an author. So if you want a speaker to come to your event instead of a, instead of me singing, I'd love to do that. Well, of course, 87 out of 87 events all emailed me back and they were like, I mean, we're so proud of you. That's a great big step, but we don't need you to come be a speaker. So all this to say, long story short, 14 days after I sent this email and I'm freaking out, nobody's booking me to be a speaker. Nobody wants me to write a book. I'm sending book proposals. They're just getting shut down left and right. I get one email in my booking email and it was from the White House. And I thought it was spam. And so I hit delete. And then my publicist called me like 20 minutes after I deleted the email. And she's just like, they know you deleted the email. And I was like, who are you talking about? She said, the White House, go look at your email. So I opened my inbox or my deleted folders and it said, the White House would like to invite you to be the keynote speaker at President Obama's Easter prayer breakfast next Tuesday. So my very first speaking gig ever was at the White House for the President of the United States. I've never been more nervous in my entire life to give a 10 minute talk, but it's all, it's been downhill from since then. Like I'm, I just don't get nervous anymore. So that was kind of the beginning of my speaking career. That was 2015. And I just, I love it. I love to to kind of be a hope dealer. And, you know, I do a lot of corporate events. I do a lot of kind of motivational events. I do a lot of church events. And yeah, I just feel like, you know, people are, especially right now in this season are just desperate for hope. And so I, I do that through my Instagram. I do that through my, my books. I do that through when I'm speaking on stages, whatever it may be, I'm just trying to constantly be hope for people. So, so what did, what were the key messages you gave at the Obama Easter service? What did you, what, what were some of yeah. the takeaways of that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I was there, I just remember saying that, you know, getting up on stage and I had, pr- I had practiced a 10 minute like sermon, right? 10 minute little vignette. And I think I got done in two and a half minutes. <laughs> I think I can't how fast it was, but I definitely said, you know, I looked at every, there were all these dignitaries in the room and I just said, you know, we can put all the policies in place that we can and all the policies will be great and they'll be beneficial, but nothing is going to change our country unless we change our hearts. And that, that was really my message to the people that were in there. And, you know, it's, you know I, I think that what I said in 2015 to President Obama is the same thing I would say right now in 2020, June of 2020 is, you know, policies can be changed by protests. And I'm a big, I've already been to like three protests already, but communities are going to change by conversations. And those conversations are going to change hearts. And so, yeah, you know, the message is still the same, just looks a little different. And I saw that your connection with your neighbor has has made headlines everywhere during this time. I know. I had another video go viral a couple of days ago, and I think we're at, we're at, you know, combined views of a couple of different social media outlets, like two and a half million views, where I, I guess it's the whole thing. The whole conversations change communities. I, I had a, a neighbor of mine who I've lived here for four years, and I've tried to say hi to him. I've tried to, you know, wave at him. He, if he's mowing his grass, I'm like, Barry, you know, like, hey, nothing. It's the only neighbor that has never said a word to me. So honestly, like I started to build a bias in my heart. I started to build the narrative in my head as to like, well, he doesn't like me. I live in a, in a white suburban Nashville neighborhood and I don't look like everybody else. And so I just kind of assumed that this old white guy didn't like me because of the way I looked. And, and then I saw him, Zibi, walk out a couple of days ago with a can of paint and a paintbrush. And he's got these two porcelain bunnies in his front yard. And he kneels down in front of one of the bunnies and he just starts painting it black. 
And I remember my jaw kind of dropped and I was like, is he really painting one of the bunnies black? I mean, this was, it was like, like ground shifting for me. And so, yeah, he painted one black. He left the other one white, walked back in his house. And I tried to come up all day long with all the different reasons why he did that. That wasn't the most obvious reason in this current climate that we're in. And so I said, you know what, the next time I'm going to go, uh, next time I see him, I'm going to walk across the street and I'm going to ask him. So I saw him the next morning and I walked across the street and I'm like, and I recorded the whole thing because I was going to show my wife. And <laughs> I walked across the street. He got the biggest grin on his face. And I'm like, oh, this is all it took. All it took was me walking across the street for this guy to smile at me. And I just said, hey, sir, why did you paint that bunny black? And he just said, with the current climate in, in our country, he said, you know, I'm, I'm 78 years old. I can't go protest. I don't want to get sick. He said, but this is my small way of, of saying that I believe that Black Lives Matter. He's like, so black, black bunnies, black bunnies matter. And he said, and I painted the big bunny. There's a bigger bunny and a little bunny. The big bunny black because George Floyd was six foot six. And so I didn't want to paint the little bunny black. I want to paint the big bunny black. So all that to say, I recorded it. And the second he started telling me this, I, I knew, oh, I'm not just going to show this to my wife. I've got to, so at the end of our conversation, I said, hey, I've been recording this. You didn't know, but I've been recording the, the whole conversation. Do you, would you mind if I put this on my social media? And he was like, oh no, that's totally fine. So I put some music to it. I edited it a little bit and I put it on, on socials and it just kind of took off. And, you know, I've been on, we've been on Access Hollywood, all the news stations, and it's, it's been fun to watch. Again, just a little bit of hope spring out of this really dark season that we're in. That's amazing to make connections like that. Oh my gosh. And your book in and of itself, and I know this is your third book, which had yeah. such great advice and such personal narratives about your own battles with especially anxiety and panic attacks and how you got through yeah. it and how you have turned to to God and the Bible and all these practices that you've adopted to help yeah. yourself through. And I am like, any advice on anxiety, I will take it. I don't care what it is. If you want me to read the Bible, that is what I will right. do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in your book, yeah. you said, I'm a prisoner in my own head. And I feel like so many people can relate to that feeling. Anybody who's ever dealt with anxiety or depression or anything. So tell me a little about how your your whole like suite of offerings, which I know you have online courses now to teach and you've like yeah. mastered this whole thing, but just take me through it, <laughs> how it came to be. Yeah. What, what I love, what, what I, I think people appreciate about my books, I, I do write books on faith, yet I feel like, you know, there's a lot of people that read my books that aren't of the same faith as, as I am, because I feel like principles are principles, right? Like, like principles, just like you said, I'll read the Bible if I have to, because a principle is a principle, and if it helps, it helps. And so the principles that I give in this in this particular book, Enter Wild, my latest book, is really what got me to 100% healing from uh, of my anxiety and depression. And so I think for a long time, I had, you know, when, whenever, when anyone is suffering with anxiety, like crippling anxiety, I mean, I was panic attacks on a daily basis. I couldn't leave the house. Like I was homeridden. After I did I did like a lot of work, a lot of therapy, exercise, diet, medicine, all the things that I needed to do. I got to about 60% better. And for anyone that's ever struggled with mental health issues, 60% better after you've been at 0% feels amazing. Like you feel like, oh, I'm good. But I, I kept going back to the Bible and I kept seeing that the Bible said that I, you know, it's possible to not just get to 60% to get to 100 so me being the, you know, the crazy guy I am, I said, oh, I'm just going to trust it. I'm going to do the work that it, that it says. And so for me, and, and the, the book is, is written into three sections, enter rest, 
enter war and enter wild. Enter rest is all about lowering the volume of life so that the volume of whatever needs to be loudest comes up. We, you know, I know we are busier than we've ever been as humans. And I don't think that we were created to exist at the pace that we're currently existing in. So the whole enter rest section is so, so that we can lower the volume of life so we can finally see and hear exactly what it is that we need to work on. Once we enter rest, I call the next section enter war. And in enter war, that really, that whole section is all about forgiveness. And for me, my anxiety got defeated once I started going to this certain therapist here in Nashville that did a, a version of therapy called Heart Sync. And what what this this therapy is, and I explain a lot of it in the book, and I take people kind of on the story arc of me being healed from my panic attacks, is uh, so, what I love about it is faith-based, but it's also science-based. So I'm all about finding faith-based and science-based therapists. And what I learned is that my heart was in need of sinking again. What, what we do so many times whenever there's trauma is we shame a version of ourselves that we're, we're ashamed of. So say, for instance, you've made a bad mistake, you've ruined a lot of people's lives because of something. What you end up doing is you end up shaming that person, that version of yourself, while you continue to disassociate with that version of yourself. But what I learned in this therapy is that that version of myself that I was shaming is still a part of me. Like it's still a part of me. So what I needed to do was to come back into reconciliation with self-forgiveness. I think a lot of times people hear forgiveness and they think, oh, that's either forgiving somebody else or somebody else forgiving you. When for me, the crux of my anxiety was based in the shame that I, that I had for unforgiveness of myself. And when I finally forgave myself, I'm telling you, it was like magic, Zibby. Like the day that I went through this one session, all of my physical manifestations of anxiety like disappeared. And I realized this is so vital for people to understand that forgiveness is going to be the key of unlocking um, a lot of the, the healing in our lives. Self-forgiveness is going to be. And then from there, you go into enter wild, which is, you know, again, my call for people to leave the mild of their life and, and, and step into the wild of their life. You know, right now in the season where we've got protests, I'm like, listen, mild would be putting up an Instagram post. And wild would be going to Target and getting a sign and painting something on it and showing up and being kind of hands and feet, putting action behind your intention. So that's what the book is, you know, and, and hopefully uh, it's going to help a lot of people. Well, let's go back to the first part because that was so yeah. great. You said the way we catch up with God is by slowing down and entering rest. And I think that's such a good point. I think this whole period of time, and, you know, maybe there's— well, maybe there's a correlation to the timing of things that we finally yeah. have all had time to sort of sit with how we feel about things and what we're thinking and what is fair and what isn't fair and what changes we would like to see in the world and in our own yeah. lives and in our communities. And your whole message is that just get, that it's just what you just said. It's so busy. I mean, I think about like how crazy busy my life was before. I went through my calendar recently. And now, of course, there's almost nothing on my calendar. It's just my podcast. My kids are here all the time. So there's no logistics right. management. I have four kids. And I was scrolling back to look something up. And I was like, oh, my gosh, look how many things are on my calendar that week. How did I do that? Yeah, totally. <laughs> and so now I feel like there's like a new paradigm for for rest and what we can take. So tell me just like a couple more things. I know you just went over it, but tell yeah. me how we can slow down. Like how, aside from a pandemic, you know, now that things are slowly starting, how can we keep that really important fundamental truth oh, as man. front and center? Yeah, you know, I, I think what 
again, I want to make sure people understand is that entering rest isn't necessarily the point isn't necessarily to like lower your blood pressure, although that may be like a fringe benefit. For me, the whole purpose of entering rest is so that that the volume of things that need to be loudest in your life continue to go up. And so, you know, I mean, let's not blame anything, but like our our phones, I mean, I don't know if you remember in the, at least for me in the 90s, I had an alarm clock next to my bed. That was literally just that. It was an alarm clock. All it did was wake me up. And so I would set it at night and then I'd wake up in the morning and hit snooze and I'd get up and I'd start my day. Now my phone is my alarm clock. And there's been studies that show that people that use their phones in alarm clock, they normally um, hit snooze or, or hit stop. And then they swipe up and then they go and they start swiping and they start consuming content. And we consume more content in the first 15 minutes that we get before we even get out of bed than like our parents would consume in an entire day. And again, like I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be like the phone patrol, but there's no way that anxiety and depression can't be linked with the amount that we are consuming. If you go back in history, this isn't a new thing. This isn't a, a, a new problem. I mean, we may feel busy now, but you know, I like to tell the, the Old Testament story of the Israelites that were freed from the Egyptians by Moses. And it's a, it's a great story where Moses has freed them. They're like, they've been slaves for hundreds of years. They're finally going to the promised land. They're, it's, it's super awesome. They get to the edge of the Red Sea and they're like, oh crap, like, what are we going to do? Like, there's an ocean in front of us. And they turn around, they look behind them and they see the, the Egyptian army coming behind them. So now they freak out and it says that they said to Moses, look what you've done to us. You should have left up in, in Egypt to be slaves. There were plenty of graves for us in, in Egypt. Now we're going to die out here. And Moses says something to them, which was crazy. He says the words, stand still. He says, literally, it says the scripture, stand still and you will see the Lord save you today. Stand still. And what's crazy is even the Israelites back then were kind of in this like crazy, like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? which is the exact same thing that we do when I feel like what we need to do is just stop, stand still. And every single time I stop and I stand still, that is when I feel my soul get saved. That is when I start to feel healing happen in my life. When we lower the volume of life, when we stand still, of course, for the Israelites, finally, when they stood still, he stuck that rod in the sand and the sea split wide open and they walked to the promised land. For us, it's going to look different. For us, you know, standing still, maybe you finding something that really brings you life. Like, I love to tell people when I do corporate events, when is the last time that you actually jumped for joy? Like that's a saying that people say all the time, jump for joy. But when you think about it, when was the last time that you actually did that? Like there was so much joy that filled you that you actually jumped from the ground into the air. What was that? Find those things that, and those are the things that you're created to do and start doing more of that. For me, it's become fly fishing. Like I love to stand waist deep in a river and catch trout and put the trout back in the river. And it's just a calming, soothing place for me to get restored and to get renewed. And so, yeah, the whole rest piece is vital, especially in these days. As we're kind of coming back out of the pandemic, things begin to open back up. It's going to be really easy for us to lose lose sight of, of the simple things that we've gotten to do. My, my family and I have taken a walk around our neighborhood every single day for three months. We never, ever took a walk one time around my neighborhood. Now, every day at 5 p.m., we know what happens. We walk, we walk outside, we take the dog, and we walk all the way around. We have the most incredible conversations, and we're entering rest, and our souls are being filled. And 
I just don't want people to lose that when things start getting crazy again. Oh, you're so right. We've I've started taking walks like with each kid because I feel like you have yeah. multiple kids. It's so nice just to take a little walk with one kid. Yeah. And meanwhile, yeah. I am mortified to admit this, but the last time I jumped for joy was <laughs> when a car came into our driveway here, having not seen another human being basically for three months, carrying yeah. like the groceries I had ordered online and I had my favorite brownies again. Anyway, I jumped for joy. I jumped for joy yeah. to get the food. So that's pathetic, I guess. I love that. No, I love that. Brownies. <laughs> so tell me, tell me a little about your writing process. Like where and when do you like to write? How long does each book take you? What, what does that look like for you? Yeah. Every book has been different. Every, you know, this is my third book. I had a first book called Moment Maker, second book called Kill the Spider, third book, Enter Wild. And they've each kind of taken different versions. I feel like I'm as an author now, after my third book, I'm finally kind of feeling my rhythm, what it looks like. For me, I love to write in public places. And so I'll go to coffee shops, I'll go to libraries. I love the library, our local library here in Nashville. And I put in my noise canceling headphones and I've got a playlist for every single book I write. So the first book had a playlist, second book had a playlist, and sometimes the songs interchange, but it's all like movie soundtracks, like epic movie soundtracks, like Chronicles of Narnia or Braveheart or Gladiator. And uh, it's funny because as I'm writing, whenever it gets to certain songs in the playlist, I can tell what songs I wrote or what chapters I wrote what, to what song because like they're just more epic. So I, I like to write in public. I'm not, I'm not real good at like you know going to a cabin in the middle of a forest. I think that's what a lot of writers think that it's supposed to look like, but I need to be around a lot of people. And so I'll normally do it first thing in the morning. I'll get up really early, 6 a.m. And I like to write until about nine and then take a little break. And then I'll write again from two to five. And I'll try to get about, oh man, about 7,000 words in a day. And, you know, and that's a lot of words. And so what ends up happening, I'll end up writing. So for most of my books are about 65,000 words but I'll end up writing about 200,000 words for each book. And then I just kind of start, you know, chopping them down and editing them. So that's a lot of words in a day. <laughs> yeah, I'm impressed. I, I, I am impressed. I and then not writing a book. I like to write about a thousand a day just to kind of keep the muscle you know, going. And then you also have a podcast. I do. I do. Which, by the way, has the best intro music I've like ever heard yeah. for a oh, podcast. That it, must be you, right? That must have been your. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I've got Fill in the Blank. That's a podcast that. You know, I, I called it fill in the blank because I just want to talk about everything. And so I figured out, well, what better title for a podcast where I can talk about anything I want than fill in the blank. So I, you know, just have a lot of friends on the podcast and I've kind of batched, you know, recorded a lot of interviews that are going to be coming out in the next few weeks. And yeah, I mean, I've got like a British pop star coming out next week. And then I've got like my mom on the next podcast. So like, it's like, you know, whatever. And, uh, but it's just, a, it's a, it's a fun outlet. I like to talk. Yeah, it's easy. So. That's awesome. And what's coming next for you? Are you going to write another book? Are you already hard at work? What's You have so yeah. many balls in the air, but what's what's next? You know, well, next, as of the time we're recording this podcast, you and I, my book actually comes out tomorrow, Enter Wild does. And so by the time you guys are listening to this, it'll have already been out. But really, you know, for me, the big thing is to get this book out. I normally go on book tour. I, I had, gosh, a 16 city tour that I was going to go on. Obviously, that's old and canceled. And so, you know, I've just got to trust that the book's going to get in the right people's hands. And so I'm going to do a lot of events online. I'm going to do a lot of marketing, you know, over the next you know few months for Enter Wild. But yeah, I mean, the next book, I have a two book deal with Penguin. And so I've got another one. And I'll be honest with you, I have no idea what the next book's going to be. Um, and so I, I, I don't know if they're going to want to hear that, but I don't know. I, you know, I'm really thinking about unpacking the first section of Enter Wild, the whole Enter Rest. I'm thinking about unpacking that into its own thing into its own thought. I just feel like 
that concept could be something that so many people really need right now. And so, yeah, so possibly it'll be about, you know, calming ourselves and, and resting and uh, finally maybe getting back into the pace. I tell people all the time that, you know, 300 years ago before there were, you know, any sort of, you know, planes. And I, again, I don't know when planes were invented, but I think it was after 300 years ago. The average pace of a human being was three miles an hour. So like we, that's how fast we walk. And there is nothing about our lives that are three miles an hour now. And so, you know, I've thought about writing a book based on what life was like then and how we can take attributes of life from then and, you know, apply them now. So who knows? I also have a novel or two in me that I want to write. And so, yeah, we'll see. That's awesome. Do you have any advice to aspiring authors? Yes. My advice would be write, write, write. Just vomit, vomit, vomit. If you're writing every single day, and like I said, I like to write a thousand words a day, and they can be, I mean, I can look on my desk and it could be about my AirPods. I'm going to write a thousand words about what AirPods are. Just write every single day. You know, I think a lot of, a lot of people that want to write books have this, have this idea that it, it becomes so romantic, the whole book publishing thing. And it's really work. I mean, it's just, it's just work. And so the better you can get at writing, the better your books are going to be. And so a lot of people are getting book deals right now that have large platforms that have lots of followers. And to be honest with you, their books aren't very good, but they sell a lot of books. And at the end of the day, though, I don't necessarily consider those people actual like authors. I like to speak to authors and authors are the ones that love to write. And so if you can if you can develop your love for writing, then your books are going to sell themselves because they're going to be good. And so, yeah, any aspiring author, write, 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 write. Don't stop every single day. Write. Love it. Okay. So now that we've talked, am I allowed to call you Los? This was my goal because you, you said Los. that <laughs> friends can call you Los. So I'm trying to sneak in there. <laughs> we are. In, what's what's your nickname though? I got I to well, make my, sure. My real name is Elizabeth. So my nickname is oh, Zibby. But well, my okay. close friends call me Zibs. So you could do that. Okay. You're- Zibs and Los. Okay, love it. (laughs) Well, it was so nice chatting with you, and I wish you all the best at your launch tomorrow. I'm honored to have spoken to you today, and I got a lot of great tips on anxiety, and just it's your book was really useful and user friendly and inspiring, and I'm so glad that I found it. So awesome, it it landed on my desk. It was so great. Yes, so (laughs) (laughs) so good. Thank you, Zibs. Appreciate it. All right, take care. Thank you. Bye bye. Thanks again for listening to my podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you liked this episode, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and sign up for my mailing list at zibbyowens.com so you can always hear about the latest things I'm up to. Thanks a lot. Thanks to today's sponsor, Shaka T, S-H-A-K-A-T, Shaka T, which is the line of Hawaii-grown herbal iced teas. Go get some. Be refreshed. It's a perfect time of year for this tea. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. 